it's the final countdown of Ecclesiastes, so we're going to read through the last section of it, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, starting in verse 9 to the end. That's page 559 on your Red Pew Bibles. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Sword of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for this book and um, all that you've taught us through it and the wisdom gleaned from it. I pray, God, that um, as we close it out, that we are able to reflect upon just the past few months of the things that you've been saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as Barda has shared, uh, this is our last message in Ecclesiastes. Um, our time here is coming to an end. Some of you are, are very happy about this and others are not. But um, speaking of this time coming to an end, this, we are in a society that is quite consumed with time. Most people keep a calendar. Most people have schedules uh, to keep track of time. And especially we in uh, the United States in particular are, are much more preoccupied with time than most cultures in the entire world. You know, when, uh, when traveling throughout the world, uh, say countries in Africa, uh, much of Asia, uh, South America, some of Europe, uh, they're just not as preoccupied with time as we are. I remember doing medical relief work uh, quite a while ago in, in various parts of the world, and there needed to be clarification when Americans are talking about time with uh, these other cultures that don't value time this, the same way. It, it's a different value. It's not a judgment at all. So for example, <clears throat> I have a really, really good Kenyan friend who I, I need to clarify about time every time we arrange a meeting. Um, every time. So, so the conversation will go something like this. So um, we're meeting at 12 o'clock for lunch, right? Yes. Okay. So is this uh, Mazungu time or is this BMT? And so um, my really good friend Anthony Mathua will, will tell me, whether this is Muzungu time, which is essentially white man time. Um, but uh, the strangest thing is I'm considered Muzungu. I don't, uh, and so, and, and then BMT, which is, these are his words, this is his vernacular, stands for black man time. Um, so, so we need to like have this clarifying statement so that we can kind of 
I can get in my head, okay, if he says BMT, then I can chill out about it. I don't, I don't have to show up right at noon. And if he says Mzungu time, then I have to show up right at noon. And the reason is, is because the, the value is just different. Because for him, if he sees a buddy on the street and they get to talking, he wants to invest into that relationship. It, the, our lunch meeting is not the important thing. It's he bumped into this friend and, hey, we're going to catch up and we're going to have tea and then we're going to talk about our families and we're going to all this other stuff. So it's, it's not a judgment on the value. It's a different value. But many people mark these different special occasions, whether it's an anniversary or a birthday or a graduation date or whatever it may be. We, we have these markers and we track things because time is one of those things that it never changes. It's a, it's a very reliable uh, measure. And so a second in any culture is the same amount of Time uh, a minute is 60 seconds, an hour is 60 minutes, and so when we're we're, we're looking at these things, there, there's nothing that can change time; that it 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 stays the same, it stays constant, and so it's a constant reminder of how finite we are. And so as the seconds continue to tick along time, we are keenly aware that we don't go on ticking with it forever that it does go on without us, that our time is a finite time, and yet we have God who created it and is outside of it and is not contained by it because he is eternal. It is God who created and initiated time, and yet here we are today fully aware, knowing that our time is really finite. The Bible is very in tune with the present. Most of how we're encouraged to live in the Bible is about how we're living now, in the present. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And yes, the future is, is coming, but it's not coming any faster than any other time. It's still 60 seconds a minute. James wrote this in James chapter 4, verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The present is really important in the Bible. Today is extremely important. The decisions made, how we live our life today, how we decide on different choices that are before us. How, how do we keep grounded to live life well today? How do we occupy the time that we have right now? And so here we are, this closing chapter in Ecclesiastes, and Koheleth starts by writing, verse 1, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days came and years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And the very first thing that he tells us to do is remember. Remember. You remember in the present. You remember right now. And he's not talking about remembering facts or information. Remembering here in verse 1 is to know God as fully sufficient that God is the sustainer of life and he is independently sustaining life without any other help. That he is creator, we are created, and 
to remember to know that relationship. Now, why is that important? Because in knowing this, we get a better understanding of where our loyalty lies. We know where we came from. We know which family we belong to. We know why we're here, what purpose we have for our existence. How can we best live out who we were created to be? Well, remember who created you. The preacher wrote to remember our creator in the days of our youth. Now, some may be thinking they're exempt from this because you are no longer a youth. And yet here, Koheleth is not necessarily putting years as an age to indicate youth. For example, when Paul wrote that letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and he wrote, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Many scholars actually believe that Timothy was in his 40s when Paul wrote that letter to him and he received that letter. So, I am but a youth. I'm, I'm very youthful. So, what is Ecclesiastes getting at here when bringing up youth? If it's not age. Well, it's more of a, a frame of mind that the youthful mind tends to forget. The youthful mind tends to get distracted. And he's writing about the present. He's writing about a time frame that... We still have time right now, and so there's this opportunity right now to remember, to stop saying tomorrow or later, only to find out that tomorrow and later have come and gone, and then it's too late. There's a thing called procrastination that um, many of us are good at, and sometimes it's really dangerous to practice it because... It depends on the severity of the matter. So say you got a gunshot wound or your appendix burst. Those are things that you can't procrastinate on dealing with. And the problem with time is that we think that we have more of it when we actually don't know that we do or not. That's a danger in it. So how much of our best years have passed because of procrastination. How long has that calling been put off of your life? How long have you put off that passion or that dream that's inside of you? Because we all know that time comes to an end and we, we have a set amount of time which we don't know what that preset time is. But it's there. And we have this time to fulfill a call or fulfill a dream or fulfill a passion. And then when that time has ended, that is it. You don't get any more of it. That's it. So we can't get hung up on our past. And we can't get preoccupied about our future. That all we have is right now. And to live right now. And to remember who our creator is because we do belong to his family and he's alive. He's speaking to us now as to how we can be changing the world, fulfilling our dreams, fulfilling our passions that you only have right now because we don't know if there is a tomorrow. 
Verse 2, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So if, if just picture this verse. It's, it's actually a, a pretty melancholy scene in your head if you're just imagining this scene. That this is a scene that is pointing toward the end of one's life. Where things begin to darken. And it's not just your eyes, but your other senses as well. Your mind is starting to darken. And the relationships around you are starting to darken because the generation ahead of you has passed and then those in your generation are starting to. And so things are darkening. And, and this is actually um, something I'm living through right now and it's actually pretty strange for me to experience this myself uh, <clears throat> I remember growing up with all these family friends, and um, my parents loved to karaoke. So they had these big karaoke parties, um, sometimes at our house and then sometimes at other people's houses. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with karaoke, but way back in the day, they had these big laser discs. And... Um, and then you'd like put them in and insert them and people would get excited and depending on which song it was, like, ah! And it was really odd seeing like my parents and their generation get really excited about a song. Um, and usually it was these Chinese songs, so I, I have this library in my head of Chinese songs. It's really strange. Like I think I know more Chinese songs in karaoke than American songs, English songs. And so I remember all these parties and I remember all these faces and I remember growing up with all these different people and the really strange thing now is that every once in a while, it's usually every few months, my mom will call me and say like, hey, um, uncle so-and-so just died, or auntie so-and-so just died. Because everyone's an uncle or auntie in my culture, so that's how it is. Or so-and-so just had a stroke, or so-and-so just had a heart attack. And it's all these different things that, for her, relationship-wise, things are getting darker. And, it, and this will happen to all of us if it's not happening already. Where a, a future generation is, their time is ending. And it's happening for me. Where my parents' generation, their time is ending. And eventually, it will get to me. Remember also your creator while you still can. Because all these things start to darken, and when you have been overtaken by the darkness, that's it. Why remember the Creator? Because God's the only one who is not bound by time, He is not bound by finitude. And you're not going to find hope outside of that Creator because everything else is under the sun. And is bound by time. Is bound by that end of life cycle. That there isn't a tomorrow guaranteed. Verses 3 through 5. Um, really, really interesting. A lot of different pictures happening here. I'm going to go through them really quickly. Um, not line by line. But, but just in terms of like concepts and things you can pick up. So it reads. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because... They are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. This is all poetry here. It's not literal. Just imagine 
this. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the song, uh, sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms. When almonds tree blossom, what color is that? It, it, it's like white, right? So think about hair. The grasshopper drags itself along. Think of someone aging and not being able to move along. And desire fails. So these are like different appetites that fail, including sexual appetites. You, you know, you once had this thing in your youth and then now it just changes. Because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets. So this poetic picture of our future that is actually quite grim and solemn, that what we once were is breaking down. Once we were, once we were able to do these certain things and we can't do them anymore, that these sleep patterns change, that the eyesight gets worse, that the hearing gets worse, that the hair color changes or it starts to mysteriously disappear for other people that the appetites start to diminish. Verse 6, Before the silver cord is snapped or the solemn bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. Again, very, very poetic. This verse is telling us to remember God before we die. This is talking about, imagine all these beautiful things. It's a silver cord, a golden bowl, a pitcher, which is very useful, that they are beautiful that they are valuable, but they're all fragile. And this is describing life, that life is really beautiful. Life is really valuable, but life is really fragile. And it doesn't take much at all to throw your life out of kilter and out of plan. I mean, just think about health issues, that you can get one diagnosis that changes everything. We're, we're living through this now, aren't we, with Jane? We know this, that it's just one diagnosis that changes everything. Things that were so basic to life are not just normal anymore. Things that once were so beautiful, valuable, functional, eventually they come to an end. And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. We know that sin entered the picture in Genesis chapter 2. And here in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes, it's reminding us that we, we came from the dust and back to the dust we return. And if that's the case, then it does seem that life is just futile. What, what, what's, what's up with this? But the thing is, is we are alive right now. That we aren't dead yet. I, I just think of Monty Python whenever i dead yet. That's always. So let's be people of, of action. That we, ha we have opportunity right now to live. To bring light into darkness. To bring hope into hopelessness. To bring love into these unlovable situations. The psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, 
So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We don't have forever to make a difference in this world. We don't have that. We have to number them. We have to know our time is finite and we need to make the most of what we have. And it's really not all that complicated because it starts with remembering our creator. It continues into verse 13, which we'll get to later, but verse 13 says, fearing God and keeping his commandments. And that's essentially what it is. Remembering our creator and then fearing God, keeping his commandments. Let's look at 9 through 12 first, um, and then we'll get to 13. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. I find this very, very funny. I don't know if you do too, but... The reason I find this really funny is because the preacher is writing this about himself in the third person, right? Like, yeah, I'm pretty smart. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty wise. And uh, essentially writing himself a thank you of how great he is. Like, man, you're, you're so wonderful. You're a great teacher and uh, your lessons, wow. <clears throat> but <clears throat> he's, not, he's not really doing that because these aren't his words because he references the one shepherd. Verses, verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. So he's not actually doing that. He's, he's acknowledging the one shepherd, right? That God is the one shepherd who, who gave this wisdom. A shepherd is someone who's close to his sheep. They're not a, a distant person. They're not an uncaring person. And these wise, wise words were given by the one shepherd like, like goads that they help keep the sheep on the right path because they're like pointing at his hind legs when he's going off the wrong path. They are like nails that are firmly fixed that, that the wisdom has been this stabilizing point for people's lives that the one shepherd gave the words to the preacher and that he is the source of the wisdom. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of flesh. Now, now here's a warning about anything extra than the wisdom of God, because we all know that there are a ton of books out there. There are a lot of good ones, but there are also some that aren't so good. That we need to make sure that we read the words that we read filtered through scripture that is full of wisdom because many of these books can lead us astray and away from God if we're not careful to embrace things that are counter to the creator. Now what are we to make of the parts of these, this verse that reads, of many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh? I'm hoping that my kids don't read this verse um, while they're still students. Well, a lot of people just keep asking questions and forever asking questions, but they never arrive at truth. And there are these people who are constantly in a search for something, but they're not really in a search to find anything. They're just in a search. 
And so when we're reading this, we find people love to accumulate knowledge. They love to accumulate information. The problem is, is that they don't do very much with it. It's just locked up in here. And it's not practice. And so, yes, absolutely, we are to learn. We are to grow. We are to gain understanding. But it needs to arrive at a truth. A truth that does something about what you've learned and what you hold dear, honest, and true. It cannot remain an idea or a thought. It can't just stay there. 2 Timothy 3, verse 7 Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Paul's kind of making fun of that. That's not good. The learning needs to lead to truth. Otherwise, it it just wearies that person. Just tires them out. And an inability to arrive at truth separates people from God. You're looking for answers that aren't going to be found outside of God, that aren't under the sun. And so that's why we must remember the Creator, that we are outside of under the sun, to fear God. Verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And so essentially, this is the conclusion of the book. So why did we have to go through three months of all this kind of stuff if we just had to just go to verse 13, right? Like, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And we could have just been like, that's it. All right, next. Let's go study the next thing. But this is the conclusion. This is the statement to the wise. Fearing God has us in a good place before God because if we fear God, then there really is nothing else to fear. The one outside of time. So everything else that is constrained by time, why is there fear in that if we are created by someone outside of it, not bound by those things? And we know who he is and everything else that has the possibility of bringing fear to us should pale in comparison to God. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's really, really simple. Definitely not easy. Now listen to what Jesus said in in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after, after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That is essentially Ecclesiastes 12. Because how many people fear God? And many people don't until that day that they are confronted like God. And much like death, there are people who don't really think about it. But once they do start thinking about it, there is an element of fear there. 
Because there are a lot of things that you love and that you care about. And fear puts an end to that. So if you have family members or friends that you love, to think that that's the end of that is a fearful thing. Because what's going to happen to them, especially if they're dependent on you, like a younger child or an older parent or someone that you are the main caretaker for, there is that fear. What's going to happen to them if I'm not here? And yet people often don't think about that. Now, isn't it interesting that one of the thieves hanging next to Jesus on the cross spoke about fearing God more than any other type of fear? Look at Luke 23, starting in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? So there's a recognition that all of them are going to die. But one of the thieves on the cross talks about fearing God. And isn't it interesting, as he's dying, he's not talking about fearing death. It's kind of like a foregone conclusion. He knows this is coming up. That there was a realization from the thief that after he died, those Roman soldiers can't really do any more to me. That after I die, that, that's it. Like I, I'm, I'm not in that body anymore. But then yet God has authority over death and after death. And if there's anyone to fear, you got to fear that guy. That I'm dead and he still has authority on me? Like that's freaky. That's scary. How, how is that possible? And God determines that eternal fate. Who knows about every single thing about us. And, and for all of us, that's another really, really scary thing. Because we all know that we're not perfect, that we've made so many mistakes, and we've hurt so many people, and we've said so many damaging things, we've done so many regrettable things, and that if we were in front of a jury, and everything about us was revealed, it wouldn't look so good. All those secret things that we think, all those secret things that are in our hearts, and we don't say because we're very tactful and diplomatic, and we know when to say things and when not to say things, and what crowds to say them in and what not to say them in, but all of that just revealed for everyone to see. Some of you are hoping your spouses aren't at that meeting there. Like, if she only knew what I was really thinking, I'd be dead. And yet the, here, the thief next to Jesus recognized this, and he asked Jesus to remember him. Isn't that interesting? Because verse 1 was, remember your creator. Remember. And what brought about this humility was that fear of God. To fear God is to realize how immense his love is for you. And in order to fully trust, to fully love, and to fully know God, we need to realize who he really is. And when we do that, it does bring this sense of awe. It does bring this sense of wonder. To be aware that even though we are so imperfect, that we are so perfectly loved. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fearing God is... is, is is not the only evidence that we are in relationship with God. It, it says, fear God and keep his commandments. It's, it's both of those things. They're coupled together. That's the evidence. 
For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is what every single one of us will face. That God will bring every deed into judgment. And so that idea of self-righteousness or of us where Ecclesiastes talks about us being overly wise or overly righteous, it doesn't get us any closer to God. Those things that are hidden inside of our hearts, hidden inside of our minds, they will be revealed. All the secret things about us will be made visible. Do you fear God and keep his commandments? That's the evidence that we are children of God. That's how our belief in Jesus' name plays out. John wrote this in John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It is by faith, it is by belief and trust in Jesus that will open that door for us to becoming children of God. And that continual evidence that proves that to be true is that fear of God, is that keeping of his commandments. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 27, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We know we're all messed up. There's no secrets around here. We are a pretty vulnerable, pretty transparent community in terms of sharing that how messed up we are. We are also very much in acknowledgement that Jesus came to seek and save the lost and to restore all this brokenness. And for us to believe and trust him with our lives forever beyond death, that in the present time that we have the opportunity to live this really abundant life, not an enduring life, but to live it fully, abundantly, that God really accepts you and me just the way we are, just like this, that he loves you just like this, You don't have to change anything about you. He loves you like this. And as our relationship grows with Jesus and we're made more into his image, someone who fully knows exactly what love is and peace and joy and hope, he knows exactly what those things are. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do that. He's not saying, if I love you, because that's a foregone conclusion. He does. He can't love you anymore. It's in return. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I already love you. There's no question about that. I came down from my heavenly throne to give up my life so that we can have a relationship. I love you. So we need to reflect on reality and, and remember... God while we're still here before the things start darkening. That tomorrow is uncertain. And right now is the time to pursue a right relationship with God. 
because there's evidence all around us because all the pleasures of life are mocking us on our way out of this world, aren't they? Everything is just kind of, I used to do that. I used to be able to do that. I used to have fun doing that. And everything kind of moves along. Even the good stuff, even the really, really, really great stuff, like your children, they move on. Or your career, you can't do it forever. Or athletics, things that your body used to be able to do. It just mocks us the whole way. Like that joint that hurts and all these different things. Like you're panting after like running a mile when you could run like 26 before. Everything mocks us as it eventually leaves us. Except God. That one actually takes you in closer. Well, everything makes fun of you and says, like, you can't do it anymore. It's actually God that's saying, like, I can satisfy any hunger or thirst that you bring. I can take you in. God who is outside of time, who's eternal. At the end of all of this philosophical thought in Ecclesiastes, the preacher tells us that. Fear God and keep his commandments. I'd I'd like us to... um, end this time together uh, meditating upon that verse, thinking about that verse, uh, praying about that verse. And while that is being done, um, we want to play you a really, really meaningful song, a song that kind of helped us start this series uh, about the third week into our series, uh, Jane sang this song. And so we're going to play that recording. And so as you meditate on this verse and you're listening to the words sung based off of Ecclesiastes 3, that you would kind of internalize these things and ask God to show you what he wants to show you. So let's just take a few minutes as this song plays and you reflect upon verse 13 of chapter 12. And a time for it. 
The end of the matter, all has been heard. There's nothing new under the sun. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. Let's pray. God, we are reminded time and time again how finite we are just with the evidences that are before us and the evidence of history that is nothing new and it's our relationship with you that brings us true and eternal meaning we pray God that the present would not flee us that we are placed here right now and so what will you have us do to fulfill your callings your purposes in our life we're thankful that you give us the dignity to be able to do life with you that you've included us that you've invited us to be difference makers in people's lives, to be difference makers in communities. Will you have us be peacemakers, ushers of love? In Jesus' name, amen.